0: Scripture this morning is from Acts 15. I'll be reading the first seven verses of this longer passage. As we come to this, let us first join together in prayer. Gracious God, because you are God, it is your Word and your Word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, we trust that you will speak to us even now. We are here, O God. We are listening. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let us listen now for God's Word for us. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers when they came to Jerusalem. They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it's necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. 2020 was my teacher. That's the truth. And we thought that COVID was bad enough, but then things got harder. One teachable moment for me was the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, this sermon is not a sermon directly about racism. We have preached about that in this church before, and we will no doubt need to do so again. But I want to reflect on the conversations that we have had around this movement. I've had many conversations about race and about Black Lives Matter in particular. Some of them have been very good, some of them not so much. I want to reflect on what happens in us what what gets in our way in conversations like this that keeps us from learning from one another that keeps us from growing that keeps us from progress 2020 has taught me something about that uh, I've said 2020 was my teacher, and one of my favorite teachers, not 2020, one of my favorite teachers was Miss Hurst, Miss Betty Hurst. She was my American history teacher in the 11th grade and is fully responsible for my choosing to be a history major in college. She, she liked to open her class by posing a question that we could discuss, and they always seemed to be simple questions, at least at the beginning. She would ask something like... Um, Was Thomas Jefferson uh, good for America? Oh, I'd raise my hand. This is an easy one. Of course, he's one of our heroes. He was the drafter of the Declaration of Independence. He was the founder of the University of Virginia. Uh, he, He was a vice president and then our third president. And she'd say, well, Tom, you're making a good case, but what do you make of his owning slaves all of his adult life? Well, I hadn't really thought about that. She said, you know, he, he fathered children through his slave Sally Hemings. What do you think about that? Well, it's not good. She said, you're a preacher's kid. Did you know that Jefferson actually cut verses out of his Bible, snipped them right out of his Bible? Anything that he found difficult to believe or he didn't like, he just cut it out. It's called the Jefferson Bible. I said, well, I didn't know that. And by the time she had Changed my mind, she then flipped around and took the position she had that I had just abandoned. She said, And you didn't mention that he drafted the state of Virginia statute on religious freedom that inspires our First Amendment. That's a great amendment, don't you think? I didn't, I couldn't figure out what the right answer was, which was the whole point. She taught valuable lessons. She taught me that life is complicated and the truth. It's never simple. And in addition, because things that matter are often complicated, we should expect to have to change our minds along the way, and that's never easy. Our passage this morning tells of a time when truth wasn't simple and the conversation was hard, but the leaders of the church, they discussed it with some passion, but they discussed it And surprisingly, to themselves, they changed their minds. It wasn't an easy meeting. There was a deep disagreement as they debated actually what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. They were debating who they understood themselves to be at their very core. And when it was over, they had changed their minds and they changed their ways. It was an amazing moment in the history of the faith. Maybe even a miracle. You see, Saul has has a conversion on the Damascus Road, you remember, and he takes a new name. He becomes Paul, and he also understands that God has appointed him to be to proclaim Christ to the Gentiles. That's an odd thing to say, proclaim Christ to the Gentiles. You see. Christ is not his last name. It's not Jesus Christ, Son of Joe, and Mary Christ. It's a title. And Christ is actually the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And you know that word. The Messiah is the longed-for, anticipated one of Judaism. To worship Jesus as the Christ is to practice Judaism. But here Paul and Peter, it says as well, they wanted to bring Gentiles into the faith. That had never happened before. And folks, uh, they said, oh, we, can't, we can't do that. They, they have to follow the law of Moses. That's the way you're saved. You have to follow the law of Moses. As it said, they had no small dissension and some debate. What that means is they were fighting. Some things are hard to talk about. 2020 has brought a lot that's hard to talk about, but nothing, it seems to me, is as tender as a conversation about race. Any conversation about race is always loaded. And I've had many conversations this year about this, and as I said, some of them have been very good, but some of them not. And I've been reflecting on what gets in our way What gets in our way in these difficult conversations that makes it harder for us to learn from one another, harder uh, for us to to grow, maybe even change our minds? I think there's some barriers, and I want to lift up four barriers. You no doubt could think of others, but I, I can think of four barriers that kind of get in the way in the midst of these conversations. And the first barrier, it seems to me, is defensiveness. I don't know anything that makes me more defensive more quickly than to feel like I'm being characterized as a racist. I have an immediate reaction within me to assert, I'm no racist. I don't, I don't think like that. And immediately I am on thin ice. Because what I have just asserted is that I, as a white person, have the power to determine what is and what is not racist. What personal experience am I going to pull on to determine what is and what is not racist? No, I need to pause and take a moment and reflect. See if this makes sense to you. It seems to me that a universal human struggle is that whenever we meet someone, whenever we meet someone, then in our mind, in our, in our gut, we deem that other person to be different from us. The difference can be almost anything. It, it can be age. It can be culture. It can be political uh, perspective. It can be race. It can be economic. When we meet someone that we deem to be different from us, it becomes more difficult to see the full humanity of that person not impossible but just more difficult and as a result my capacity to dismiss to dismiss the that person's ideas or experience or even value becomes more reasonable i think this is a universal struggle for people and it paves the way for racism Ibram Kendi has helped me with this. He, he encourages us to think of racist and what he deems as anti-racist is less identities and more deeds and actions and choices. And if they are things that we do, then they can change. And rather than become defensive and assert my purity, I'm no racist. It might be more helpful to ask What might I have done that is racist that I might change tomorrow? I think defensiveness can be a barrier for us. And I think a second barrier is shame. And when I speak of shame, what I really mean is shaming. Our Jerusalem Presbyterian meeting could have gone south a number of ways, and shame is one of them. The problem is... The Pharisees, they knew, they just knew, and they were right about this. They knew that God had called them to live a holy life. They were right about that. The word holy literally means to be set apart, to not be like others. And so they didn't eat like others. They didn't spend time like others. They didn't worship like others. They kept kosher. They kept Sabbath. They kept the law of Moses. It set them apart. It was the core of faith. But now they're being asked to turn all that on its head. Let these Gentiles in that do none of those things that had made them holy, set apart, to include them as part of the family. And it would have been so easy. It would have been so easy for them to respond, we can't do that. God has sent the Messiah to us. Not to them. Don't you see how righteous we have been? We can't cast our righteousness aside like pearls before swine. It would have been so easy for them to shame, but they didn't go there. There's been a lot of shaming this year. Sometimes we demonstrate just how woke we are by pointing out the blunders of those around us. We engage in what our friend Reverend Meg Peer McLaughlin calls virtue signaling. We become the self-appointed teacher of everyone around us and rehearse our anti-racist pedigree. It doesn't help. If you want to shut down conversation, if you want to shut down growth, if you want to shut down movement, just shame. Shame is always a tool that destroys conversation. There's a third barrier, I think. No matter what my position is, I can always spot the weakness, not necessarily in the other position, but in the other person. When I get pushed, I point out the impurity of the other. The Jerusalem conversation could have gotten sidetracked this way. One of the elders, one of the elders could have just stood up and said, "Hey guys, this is Paul's work. You, we know Paul. We know Paul. Paul persecuted the church. He claims he had a conversion. Maybe he has. But Paul is the reason my brother or my mother or my daughter is in jail. He can't be trusted. It would have stopped the conversation by pointing out the impurity of the apostle. And here's the thing, when we want to find the weakness in another, we always can because it's always there. None of us are pure. We so often shut down conversation by ignoring the position of the other and attacking the other. We claim that they are biased or un-American or unchristian. And when we've gotten there, the conversation is over. I think we get defensive sometimes. I think shaming gets in the way sometimes. I think, I think the temptation to delegitimize the other's perspective gets in our way. The way the church changed her mind and grew is not by focusing on what was wrong in each other, but on what was true and good and right. We need more of that. There's one last thing. Stay with me. One last thing. These conversations can also be difficult when we benefit from the status quo, or at least think we do. It would have been easy for this to derail the Jerusalem council as well of They could have said, well, look, if we let them in, then we aren't who we've always been. If we let them in, it changes the very core of what it means to worship the Messiah. If we let them in, it says the law of Moses is insignificant. Let's just keep separate. It's worked that way since the days of Abraham. Why change? I don't know how they got past that. Maybe Maybe someone reminded them that from the very beginning, God called Abraham. And when God called Abraham, God said, I want you and those who follow you to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, to the Gentiles. Maybe they realized that something was lacking in the status quo, that God is always calling us to a new day, to a promised day. We are not there yet. And if we want to be serious about following and being faithful to this God, we're going to have to change our mind and change our ways a time or two along the way. If we think we benefit from the status quo, it becomes harder. But if we remember that God calls all of God's followers... To be a blessing to all, then we know we've got work to do. Years ago, years ago, I invited a guest preacher to come preach for us. You loved this guy, and you said you gotta get him back. Well, we did. That preacher was Roger Nishioka after worship. He and I, we went to lunch, and we laughed, and we talked about what a great congregation you are. I said, you should come back sometime. And somehow over that lunch, uh, the subject of race surfaced. And Roger, he was teaching at the seminary in Atlanta, and he he said, you know, when race comes up in Atlanta, it's almost always presented if it's just a black-white issue. He said, it leaves me feeling a bit invisible. And I said over my Caesar salad, I said, well, that's probably because of history, Roger. I mean, after all, the race issues in Georgia were largely black and white and in the South. And there there weren't, I mean, after all, the detention centers during World War II, they weren't in the South. They, they were out West. Roger just smiled at me. You've... Seen that smile? It's unsettling. He, it's a smile that lets you know you don't know why yet, but you know you're sitting in the stupid chair and you're about to find out why. He said, "Actually, Tom, there there was a detention center in the South. You know where it was?" No, I said. It was it Montreat, the National Conference Center of the Presbyterian Church? When the nation decided that we would inter American citizens of Japanese descent, the Presbyterian Church said, here, let us help. And then I remembered Roger preaching at Montreat and I remembered him staying in the same end that his ancestors had been kept in. I remembered how he led youth in prayer on that mountain, knowing that his ancestor had prayed for liberty on that mountain. It takes courage to live toward God's promised day, and it's going to require us a time or two to change our minds and change our ways, to have our eyes opened. It takes courage. I know it does. I don't know what's going to happen in 2021, but you can bet the farm it's going to bring some tender subjects our way, some things that are hard to talk about, but maybe we can learn a bit from 2020. Maybe 2020 can teach us to be more attentive to each other and to the Spirit. And maybe we won't stumble over these barriers to conversation. And maybe we'll meet each other and learn something. We might change our mind and change our ways. Our conversations will be better. And we might be a little better. And who knows?